What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. In the Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Dua and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. Welcome to In the Know. Once again, we are continuing on with our 2019 free agency breakdown as well as season breakdowns. Today we have Brittany Mollis and Danny Cunningham. And Brittany Mollis uh, has a podcast. That's what B said. Very clever. And Danny Cunningham, you could find his writing on Complex Sports from time to time. Uh, welcome, guys. How are you all doing? Doing great. How are you guys? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I can't complain. I mean, honestly, today has been a gorgeous day. It's like 75 degrees outside. It's sunny. I just got back from a run. It's been great. I think, Mason, the, the weather's probably not as good as where, it's you, where you are. You're an asshole, man. You're just, you're just going right into it. Huh? <laughs> Damn. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's cold and it's rainy. And the weather here in Chicago all week, it looks like ass. So um, mm-hmm. not not stoked. Thank you for that. <laughs> Brittany, Danny, are y'all, y'all both in Cleveland area? Yes. Yes, and the the weather is very similar to what you <laughs> just described, Mason. Yes. It's been rainy and fifty degrees all day. Nothing, nothing nice this week at all. Oh, fifty. That sounds nice. And <laughs> I need to turn this podcast into a weather podcast where I just we talk are... about how great the weather is, and you guys can just sit sourly on the background. Um, well, usually and- it would be usually that would be good in the off season because I could uh, we could talk about how nice it is up in the north and you'd be down in New Orleans in 100 degree heat and the off season yeah. is in the fall the winter I don't know everything's weird. Oh, I don't mind the heat. I don't I don't mind the heat. In any case, we are joined by uh, two representatives that are going to be discussing the Cavs, the Cleveland Cavs, with us, and we're going to jump right in on this. First of all, uh, just want to get your guys' perspective on. How the hell did you become Cavs fans? What's that journey? What, where did it start? I'll go first. How's that? Yeah. yeah. So my Cavs fandom, 
it began, I tell this like it's a really interesting story. It's really not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was, of course, like LeBron James that drew me in. Um, I didn't really pay attention to the NBA until about 2004-ish. Um, so, and funny enough, LeBron wasn't even my favorite player, you know, growing up and cheering for the Cavs. I was a big Drew Gooden fan. So, like, he was my number one. And wow. he was the reason why I watched every game. <laughs> but, yeah, and, you know, once once he left and then he left again, and now we're left with the debris of LeBron James and I've been spending most of the the past two years trying to get fans to rally around this team again and be real positive and be their cheerleader all the time and it's exhausting (laughs) and and I mean for for me it's mostly been LeBron to what Brittany started with like when I was a kid and he was the Cavs won the lottery in 03 like that was the coolest thing ever and then him leaving was obviously devastating to a a younger version of me back in 2010 and then actually when he was going through that free agent process again in 2014 and really deciding whether or not he wanted to come back to Cleveland or run things back again in Miami. That's kind of what got me into my career and made me want to get into sports writing or sports radio or podcasting or whatever it may be. So it's, that is really just, it goes intertwined with who I've become as a person. Um, So it's really just been, that is kind of in my DNA at this point. Yeah. It's really wild how LeBron has brought so many people to the sport and as well as like, you know, you guys, uh, got to cover him for a good bit of time. And frankly, you know, we can relate to the whole picking up of after the debris of someone leaving. And it's kind of indirectly LeBron related as well, because LeBron forced Anthony Davis to demand that trade. So we say, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so, so you guys are in a rebuild period. Um, not unlike the Pelicans, although the Pelicans did luck out with the whole Zion Williamson thing. I will say you guys have had your fair share of lottery luck, so I don't feel bad um, in that (laughs) regard at all. Uh, What do you guys make of the young players that you currently have? Well, let's, we can start, uh, you know, we can start with um, your, we started Colin Sexton, frankly, and then we can work our way with with Darius Garland and some of the others. Um, What do you guys think of the young players? And, and, you know, do you guys feel you have the, the pieces you need to maybe like make that next step towards a push for a playoffs, or would you still kind of want to push for that star level piece that'll really bring the team to the next level? I mean, ideally, yeah, a star would be great, but realistically, I just don't see that happening. I think the Cavs are not in a position where you have to start from the bottom up and you have to grow your own talent and develop them. Um, we're not, Cleveland has never been a place where free agents are just going to dash to. That's not the reality. So you, I think Kobe Altman has done a good job at drafting so far. And, you know, I know a lot of Cavs fans don't really agree with that and that's fine. Um, We're definitely not at a place where, you know, playoffs is in the realm of possibilities. Not yet. Um, if that happens, I'd say maybe like a couple more years, but we do have a nice core of young players, uh, Colin Sexton, who happens to be my favorite of the young core players, uh, Darius Garland. I think they, they said that he looked great in the mini camp they had in the little bubble. Um, hopefully he'll, you know, bounce back. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. is probably the most exciting player, young player that we have. So 
you know, it's going to depend on how seriously they take this development and how well they do it and what other pieces they can get. But I am very excited for it. So that's, that's me. And to kind of build off what Brittany said, I think that this team is a good young wing player away from being a team that can compete for a playoff spot. Um, I do like Colin Sexton. I don't think he's a, a superstar by any stretch of the imagination. I think that Garland is somebody that people are trying, people are giving up on him far too quickly, in my opinion. He's someone that basically, after playing five games in college at Vanderbilt because of a meniscus tear, he basically played out his freshman year of college in the NBA, which is a really, really tough thing for a 19-year-old to do, no matter how talented you are. So I think that you have to take that into consideration when you're talking about him. And then Brittany mentioned Kevin Porter Jr. I think if there is one guy on this roster, other than Kevin Love, who once upon a time was a star, and Andre Drummond, who has had flashes in his career, but he's not going to be a star anytime soon, that could be the guy that turns into a star. I think that if there is an all-star on this roster, Kevin Porter Jr. is that guy right now. Is there a guy, and I think this is, Schmidt was kind of getting to this in the question around, and, and we can, <laughs> I think we can relate to the f- lack of uh, a free agent destination that both of our uh, our cities have been historically. Um, but it, is it a situation where you feel like you've got a shot to land that next great player in this draft? Is it, do you feel like even after this draft, is it another year of, of you know, really just continuing to really not really try for the playoffs and, and try to st- uh, build, get another high draft pick following year. What's, what's kind of the view on this upcoming draft and how it translates to the focus for the upcoming season. Danny, you can take that one draft question. That's all you. So in terms of this draft, the, a lot of Cavs fans are disappointed that, you know, the lottery luck didn't come through for the 100th time as it has always seemed to for this franchise. But I think that having the number five pick is actually a really good spot for him. Because if you look at the guys that are certainly going to go somewhere in the top four in LaMelo Ball and Anthony Edwards and James Wiseman, none of them really fit what the Cavs need. And there's not a sure thing star in this draft, at least not in my opinion. Now, I could be wrong and there could be a star, but I don't necessarily know that it's going to be someone picked in the top three. I think that this is more of a draft where, guys that should be picked in the top five there's two or three of and then guys that should be picked like five through 15 there's 15 to 20 of so there's a surplus in a spot where the Cavs are and I do think that grabbing a good role player that can be solid for a long time could be a good thing and it could be the spot that the Cavs are in if a guy like Devin Vassell who I know that the video of his new and certainly not improved shorting shooting form came out and that's a little bit of a turnoff, but if he's there at five or in Isaac Okaro from Auburn or Onyeka Okongwu from USC, if he could be your Tristan Thompson type replacement, or even um, Denny Adiva, the forward from Israel, who really I think would be a pretty good fit in Cleveland. If those guys are available at five, I think the Cavs are in a really good place. They're not going to get, you know, the next star of the franchise. I think there's a better chance of that happening in next year's draft, which is supposed to be much, much better than the draft happening in a a month from yesterday, actually. So I think that they're in a good place to get a, a piece that's going to be good for a long time, but they're not in a place right now. And really, I don't think anyone is this year where they're going to be able to grab a guy that's going to carry the franchise to a championship anytime down the road. I think that's a very well measured approach. You did hit, uh, one of my hot buttons, which is 
a whole, you know, uh, I'm very passionate about not drafting role players uh, high up in the lottery in the, in the draft. I'm a, I'm a very strong, just grab the most talent available, grab the best player available, figure it out um, later type of person. So I, with, I wanted to get your thoughts on with regards to the Cavs, do you feel that do you like that five spot or would you, would you be okay? You know, if you traded back, because you mentioned the middle of the draft may have some value, especially for a, a long time role player that you're looking for, um, you know, trade back, maybe get an additional asset while you're doing it. Um, and, or, you know, get, get two picks if you can, is, is that more of an approach you want to go, go into with, and then, you know, kind of figure out where you're going to get your star down the road. First, let me start off and say, I agree with you. And I'm in the same camp that you get as much talent as you can and figure it out later. My thing in this draft is I just don't think that there's that guy that is so good that you have to take him at five. I think that the best player you're going to be able to pick at five, the most talented guy is probably going to end up being a role player. That's just the state of this draft and not necessarily my draft philosophy. Now, if there was a guy and say the Cavs were picking two and there was an awesome guard, available at two, despite drafting Darius Garland and Colin Sexton in the last two drafts, you have to make that pick, but that's just not the case in this draft. And as for trading back, I think it's a good idea, but it takes two to tango. This isn't a draft that's super enticing for teams to want to trade up. I'm not sure really who in the seven, eight, nine range would really be enticed to come up to five because when there aren't, aren't those stars or star potential players, I'm just not sure who is really motivated that our guy is not going to slip past five. We need to go get him. I'm just not sure who's going to have that line of thinking this year. So that's the problem with trading back is I think it'd be a great move, but I just don't know who's going to play along with it. All right, fine, fine. 13 and Lonzo for the fifth pick. You sold me. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Whoa. Absolutely not. <laughs> wow. We got a very swift rejection here. That's that's interesting. That's when I hear Lonzo's name, I'm hanging up the phone. I know he had a better year until the bubble happened, and then in the bu- bubble he was abysmal. But I, I am not in the Lonzo ball camp. Brittany, what about you? I Like I said, I the whole ball family can kick rocks for me. Um, wow. no no don't hey, worry you guys are doing good with some of those former lakers nance has found a home clarkson was doing things for a little bit what's one more <laughs> Cavs fans really love jordan clarks i mean they love larry nance too because you know historic and everything but like jordan clarkson Cavs fans loved him it was almost like unnerving there's some players that Cavs fans just latch onto and he was one of them so i think that that kind of um, brings me to my next topic. I think you guys have beyond the interesting guard situation, which a lot of people talk about. I think you have a more interesting big situation mm-hmm. um, in which case you traded for Andre Drummond, which is interesting. You, you Tristan Thompson is a free agent. Kevin Love is on contract for a million years. Uh, Larry <laughs> Nance is, is around. Um, I don't know if I'm missing any other bigs per se, but that's a lot of, that's a lot of talent. First of all, I think a lot of teams could use all of those bigs. Um, what, what do you guys feel the team is at with that? And do you want to keep any of them, all of them, some of them, uh, what's the plan there? As a fan, I would love to keep all of them. Um, but that's just not realistic and it doesn't, you know, Tristan Thompson, um, you know, he's coming up Andre Drummond's he's not, you know, he's going to take the opt-in get paid and then, you know, they could shop him or do whatever, 
Um, the talks between them, as far as like, you know, an extension, those have sort of fizzled out completely. Um, so you have this like surplus of bigs. Uh, they're probably not going to pay Tristan Thompson big money to be a reserve. So anyone's guess is as good as mine as far as how to solve that, because you, ha- you have all these big guys and who do you get rid of? I don't know, Danny. Are you- and I, to kind of further that, I did like the, the Drummond move when they made it. And this was pre-pandemic when the, the financial situation of the NBA looks yeah. a little bit different than it does now. But picking up that contract for this year, he's going to be an asset whenever the trade deadline happens to be, which none of us have any idea when that's going to happen next year. But having one year left, if a title contender needs a rim protector or a rebound, Drummond could potentially be that guy and you can get some sort of asset for him. I do think that there's interest in them re-signing Thompson, partly because of a nostalgia factor, but partly because he's still worth something. And there's not a lot of teams out there with cap space this, this off season. I keep saying summer because it's so ingrained to me. That's when the off season is, but obviously it's October 19th right now as we record this, but he's going to be someone too, that I think it it makes sense for them to resign because he is an asset and he's going to want to get paid and the Cavs can go over the cap to pay him and no other team can do that. That's something else. Mm-hmm. That's certainly worth considering. Lo- no one wants Kevin Love's contract. And I would be very stunned if they move on from Larry Nance jr. At any point soon. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's like uh, you, you, it sounds like uh, an echo when we talk about Derek favors too. Um, it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's a very similar situation. And I mean, we're, we're having different discussions on um, whether or not he even, even, do you want to go over the cap and just give him a bloated one-year deal? In the in it's an opportunity cost, right? It's if you do that, you don't have to spend your mid-level exception on a big. You can go look at that and put that elsewhere. Or if you really don't feel like favors is a fit, you can let him walk and and go do something else. And so it, it is. I mean, I think that point that you made is critical. Around there's no cap space. Just go over the cap to sign your guy if you're not anywhere near the luxury tax and figure it out later. Um, so I, it's. It's definitely interesting with Derek, but uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I would imagine that's probably Cleveland's outlook too with Tristan. So I'm actually a fan of all three of Tristan, uh, Drummond, and and Love, and and in some capacity on on the Pelicans. And while I think Drummond and Kevin Love are a little bit harder to acquire just because of how large their contracts are, uh, I wouldn't mind having either of them on the Pelicans. I think you guys with those three and even if Tristan Thompson walks, you know, with those two probably have the best rebounding front court in the league, maybe close to being the best rebounding front court in history. I mean, you know, Andre Drummond is one of the best rebounders ever. Kevin Love is a tremendous rebounder. I don't, I, it seems difficult to watch you guys get out rebounded. If the cast has decided, you know what, those two are good pieces. We're going to kind of stay with them. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a decision you'd be, you know, fine with building around that front court and you have your back court and you really just have that wing player that you're missing. Right. I personally don't love the idea of building around a big guy uh, in today's day and age. I think that you need to be, it's such a wing dominated league where you need to be able to build around a guy that can create for himself and others. And the problem with those guys and, and Drummond more so than love, because I think we've all realized that love's a very good passer for a big guy but it's hard for them to create offense for themselves. And when you get to the end of games in crunch time, it's really hard for a big guy to go get a bucket because he's probably not going to get that foul call. 
And it's really difficult to, to even get him the ball in a position he's comfortable. It's different when you've got a guard that can do it. It's different when you've got a wing that can handle the ball. So that's why I'm, I'm of the camp that I'm against building against a big man, unless it is a, a super special one, which I think we could all probably agree that while Drummond and Love and, and these guys are good, they're not special. They're not all NBA players, at least not anymore. They're not MVP candidates. And if you're going to build around a guy that's you know, a power forward or center, he needs to be that type of player for you to be successful. What is what is your sense with Kevin Love? And that's because I, he's always in in trade rumors with this with that contract. It's it's so you know to many it's it's a glaringly obvious thing that well he's going to get traded at some point to a team that can you know to to a contender or even just a, a team that can make a deep playoff run. But I know with the the meaning that he he brings to Cleveland, the Cavs fan base. I mean he he's a guy that every almost every Cavs fan probably wants to have around. And so what do you see as his uh, future, both, you know, whether it's next year or years to come, do you, do you see him finishing out of that contract in Cleveland? And I want to add to that. Um, one, the Kevin Love memes are pretty hilarious when you see him just, you know, throwing his hands up in frustration or doing um, just acting out on the court. Those things are hilarious to watch. So how do you feel like that impacts the locker room? And, and two, you know, what is a fair return? Like, what would you, what would it take, you know, but uh, for you guys to say, yeah, I, I'll move Kevin for this. Um. So first of all, I don't, I don't think that they're going to be able to move him. Um. How old is he now? Like 30, he's 32. Uh, he's getting up there. He, he's got a lot of money on that contract. I just don't, and it's been going on for so long now that it's like, you try to think of all these situations, you read all these things about potential, but they never pan out because, you know, it's just a hard contract to move. It's, it's hard for Kevin Love to go anywhere else. Um, as far as, you know, fans love him, clearly. Like, he is a fan favorite, but a, the, the NBA is a business. Kobe Altman's good at this. If, if there's any way they can move him and get stuff for him, they're going to do it. I just don't see, I just, I can't see that happening at this point. Oh, well, that's fair enough. I, I think, you know, I, I still think that some team might sniff around. Like if I'm Philadelphia, I would definitely offer Horford and a pick. I don't know if you guys would take that. Um, you know, the contracts are similar length. Horford's a little bit cheaper, but you get an asset out of it. But, you know, Philadelphia isn't going anywhere with Horford. I, I would definitely offer that if I were them. Um, but you never know. You never know when, when huge contracts get moved. Like we saw Andrew Wiggins get moved and that guy is uh, – would you? So here's a question. Um, the Pelicans have kind of thrown this around uh, where the Pelicans send Drew Holiday to the Warriors for some combination of the second overall pick, Wiggins, and some other stuff. Now the Pelican fans are like, well, we don't want Wiggins. We would flip him to the Cavs for Kevin Love. Would you do a one-for-one one Wiggins for Love trade? I would not, no. no. I And I – my most recent full-time job, I was covering the Timberwolves. So I was around Andrew a lot for almost two years. I, I oh, know boy. him better than a lot of, I, I just, I know Andrew's game. I know the kind, and he's a really good person, but I just don't think that he loves basketball enough to be super successful personally. And 
I wouldn't make that deal. He's owed a lot of money. Now, if I'm in the Pelicans camp and you can do Drew Holiday for Wiggins, the second pick, and if you can get that Minnesota pick next year that they got in the D'Angelo Russell deal, that's when you start talking. But I think if, if you were trading for the second pick in this less, below average draft in Andrew Wiggins, that's not a, a trade that the Pelicans are necessarily winning to move off of holiday, which I understand doing, but I just think that they could do better for that. But Wiggins for love, I just don't think it's worth it for the Cavs because they're both making the same amount of money. And truthfully, I think you're getting more production out of Kevin Love. Harsh, very harsh, but accurate. I don't disagree with any of that. I probably would be in the same boat if the tables were, were turned. The wait is finally over. Football's back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From games, spreads, and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. As far as going forward into the summer goes, uh, there are a couple of free agency questions. Obviously, Tristan is, is one of your major free agents. Are there is there a specific concrete plan you want the Cavs to follow as in like, pursue you know these type of guys or maybe create space to absorb salary and get some picks or um you know maybe just go after some young guys is there a direction you want the team to take and how would you like next season to look well you know next season i would like to have more than 19 wins that's really all i want (laughs) that's it it's very simple if they could just and you know for the past two seasons now I've been championing this this plan that they have and the whole development thing um and I I always say it's not about wins it's about development so you know all the wins they don't matter but you know now we're coming into year three of this and I'm like all right some wins would be nice guys (laughs) like let's start being competitive again as far as you know a concrete plan I don't I there's nothing to me that I'm like okay they have to do this with this guy and they have to you know, keeping Tristan Thompson would be nice because he seems so well-respected and so well-loved. Um, he brings a lot to the team, valuable 
So that would be nice. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. Again, I don't know how much money they're going to be willing to spend on, you know, reserve. Um, you know, just keep keep developing the the young core, the, the you know, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr. That's your future. So I, I believe and I trust that they have a plan going forward. Um, I think Bickerstaff, definite upgrade from, from Beeline. Um, you know, they, they finished pretty strong, five and six, which for them is a big deal. Five and six, I was happy with that. Um, so I don't, there's no plan that I have in mind as a fan. I just hope that it's a little bit more, little improvements every, every year would be nice. Little baby steps toward a better direction. Uh, I, so I feel like um, I wanted to go back to a point that you made, uh, Danny, about uh, Wiggins. And I feel like cause it's, it's such a good one. And I feel like it's something that gets under discussed because we don't know some of the stuff about the players that, that certain media folks do. And the fact that you said you don't think he likes basketball that much or, or enough. Right? And so I, I really do feel like that's such, so critical for certain players who, you know, we, we always talk about potential and these players who, you know, what, haven't reached their ceiling yet. And so much of it, uh, you know, we look at, you know, different metrics, whether it's wingspan or, or athleticism and, and or any sort of uh, metrics we can to really give ourselves hope for some of these guys. But sometimes it's just that simple. And uh, I feel like, uh, you know, I, even through the years for New Orleans, we've had some some guys that just um, didn't, you know, didn't care enough. Um, and so I am I, I'm hoping and I feel like uh, one of the things I'm excited about with Griff and um, I don't know if this could be a good segue to talk about him a little bit if, from his time in Cleveland, but I feel like he values that sort of thing and, and will kind of look, look at that and evaluating and having the, the front office make decisions that way. Um, I didn't know if you had any um, you know, specific thoughts or about his time in Cleveland and anything that, um, that really jumped out to you when he was, when he was around. Yeah, well, I he mean, was loved. Yes, and, <laughs> and you know what? He deserves to be. Yeah. Um, I personally, I'm a big fan of what he does. I, I think that he is a terrific general manager. He's one of the the best in the NBA. And I really think that one of the biggest mistakes that Cleveland has made as a franchise is him and Dan Gilbert not being able to come to terms. That's not to say that the, the Cavs would be so much better off now than they are. And that's not to say that Kobe Altman's done a bad job. But Griff is the guy that, made everything seem okay, no matter what was going on, because there were some really chaotic moments throughout the, the second LeBron tenure. And I also think if Griff is still running the ship, I don't know what happens with the whole Kyrie Irving situation. I just, I don't know what they look like right now. If things happen differently after the 2017 finals. And I, I think that the Pelicans are a very lucky franchise to have him. I truly do. I think he's one of the best general managers in basketball. Um, I'm a big fan of his work, and I think that he's going to take that franchise to new heights given the time. I'm really excited to see what he's able to do there. Yeah, you guys got a good one. That's, that is awesome to hear, mm-hmm. obviously, as people who cover the Pelicans. Now, when Griff was in Cleveland, the situation was championship, 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 right? That was kind of the goal every single season. When you have LeBron, there really isn't much going on. I mean, I guess Griff was there before LeBron came. Um, so maybe we can talk about that. The, the Griff before LeBron, What? who is Griff when he's not in full-on win-now championship mode? 
and and what do you think his his vision is whether it's in terms of roster construction or the people or the, or the type of talent that he likes you know um they they took Kyrie they took Tristan Thompson which I'm not entirely sure was a consensus uh fourth overall pick but it wasn't a bad pick you know Tristan Thompson was super key in you guys winning the the championship so like what who is he as a, as a team builder and and what is his vision Go ahead, Danny. Oh, okay. Um, You're the so, grip expert. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I, I do think that we'd be a little remiss to not mention Chris Grant here just at the start, who was, he was the general manager in Cleveland before David Griffin. He was the one that made the Kyrie pick. He was the one that made the Tristan Thompson pick, even the Dion waiters pick, who is now an NBA champion. I think we all have to mention that too. Um, he was the guy before Griff and Griff took over in February of 2014. So really Griff's first thing, first major thing. I mean, he made a couple of minor trades before then, but he was named the the full-time GM, I think in May of that year. So he did two things right away. He hired David Blatt, which he realized rather quickly was a mistake and did move off of, but at the time it wasn't a bad move. And then it was chasing LeBron. So we really didn't get a chance to see Griff with all the power in a team building stage. Now I know that they were planning on signing Gordon Hayward Hayward to a max offer sheet that summer, but when LeBron called and said, I'm in everything else goes out the window and you don't care about Gordon Hayward anymore. And you absolutely should not. So those things certainly changed. We didn't get to see Griff really build from the ground up. We got to see Griff sign the greatest basketball player that's ever lived. We got, we saw him do that and then assemble a championship team. We got to see him make moves on the fly that turned a team that, you know, at one point LeBron's first year back in Cleveland, the Cavs were 19 and 20. And that's when they realized, okay, this isn't going how we thought. And that's when Griff decided that, okay, we need to trade Deion Waiters. They got J.R. Smith. They got him on Shumpert. They got Timofey Moskov. They made moves on the fly under pressure that I couldn't imagine and turn that team that at one point, like I said, was 19 and 20 into a team that won over 50 games that year and made the NBA finals. He's done that. We didn't get to see him build from the ground up. Like you guys are getting to see that new Orleans. And I think based on what he was able to do on the fly and yes, he had LeBron James in Cleveland. And while Zion Williamson is awesome and Brandon Ingram is awesome. Neither one of those guys are LeBron James. So the situation's a little bit different, but I think what he showed he can do under pressure in building a championship contender only means good things and great things really for building from the ground up. Would you say he's a person that is not complacent and he's able to realize that change needs to be made and, and makes change. Obviously, you know, the timeline's different when you're working with LeBron James, but you know, with, with the Pelicans, some fans have been like, oh, well, Griff's too optimistic. He's not going to move on from X, Y, Z. And, and I, I frankly, I don't think that's the case personally, but just, just wanted to get your thoughts on it. I would wholeheartedly disagree with that sentiment because when you are running a franchise and your team has championship aspirations and you are 30 and 11 in the month of January and you fire the head coach, I think that shows the farthest thing from complacency because that's exactly what happened. The Cavs were 30 and 11 in 2016. They got smoked by the Warriors on Martin Luther King day. And then they actually won three or four games. And then Griff fired David Blatt. And then the Cavs went on and won a championship with Ty Lue that year at the helm. And we all kind of know the rest of the story there. 
but that shows that he's not complacent. In 2017, they didn't need to add more offensive firepower, but they traded a first round, a future first round pick, which really now is going to be two second round picks, to the Hawks. Which for the, Kyle Pelicans the Pelicans yes, own. The Pelicans own. Which the Pelicans <laughs> own. You're correct. Yes, exactly. That, that the Pelicans own. Griff got his that, pick, man. That didn't need to be done, and that's really the only reason Griff made that trade with Atlanta was to get those two picks back. He just wanted his two picks back, and I understand that. But <laughs> I don't. I don't think that complacent could be anything that is going to be that he deserves to be called because it's just not true. Now you are going to give things more time when you are a younger team and a team that doesn't have championship aspirations. But when push comes to shove, Griff is going to do exactly what he thinks he needs to do to build a, a winner and a, a team that I think has a, lo- a very bright future in the Pelicans. He's going to do the right things. And I think that he is, I know he hasn't built up all that equity in new Orleans because he hasn't been there very long, but I promise you that he has that equity and he deserves that opportunity because I truly believe that he's going to be a guy that does the right thing time and time again. And yes, he's an optimistic guy. And I'm sure you guys have heard the stories about him sending a, a franchise wide email to everyone that worked for the Cavaliers when they were down three, one in 2016 to the Warriors. And just optimism is something that is built into his personality. Wait, 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 you have to tell that story. Cause I haven't oh, heard that story. I think oh, that, that's, I, I know that uh, Brian Winhurst and Dave McMenamin detailed this in their book, uh, return of the King that came out the fall after the Cavs won the title, but he, he sent a, I forget how long the email was, but he essentially sent an email to every single person that works for the Cavs. It was a mass email, whether you were in ticket sales, worked in the team shop, or you were a ball boy, or you were LeBron James, you got this email. Everyone that was an employee of the Cleveland Cavaliers got an email about how, you know what, when adversity strikes, this is when we've always been our best. And our backs are against the wall, but this is the only position we know. We only know what turmoil is like, because it was a team that, and yes, they had great playoff runs, but like I said, they were 19 and 20. They were in the finals without Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. It was a team that they had their hardships and they always kind of found a way to come back from them. And that's essentially what the summary of that email was. And he's a guy that it, it takes a very optimistic person to do that. Because if, if I'm running a team that we're down three, one to a team that won 73 games, I'm probably not pretty optimistic that we're going to find a way to come back and win, but he was that guy. And I'm not saying that that email had any bearing on the Cavs winning the championship. Like I'm not going to say LeBron doesn't block Andre Iguodala if he doesn't get an email five days before, (laughs) but it speaks to his character and it speaks to, yeah, he's going to be optimistic, but he's going to do the right things. He's going to find that balance of optimism versus this needs to happen or we're not going to be good. Yeah. And it says a lot about, how how loved he was because i mean you guys may not know this but cleveland fans as a whole are very very critical of owners and gms like very critical i don't i cannot think of one person that didn't love him and love what he did in cleveland so uh, that speaks volumes i mean when when he signed on new orleans Everyone here was cheering for him, really. We, everyone wants him to do well, and everyone believes in him. So you guys, very jealous of you. Although I like Kobe Altman, but, you know, he's no Griff. Well, 
Well, we we were rooting for Cavs fans uh, as well, or the Cavs as well, but that was just selfishly because of the draft pick that we owned, that if you guys were not <laughs> top 10, it was ours. Um, yeah, but- I, I don't think that ever had a chance, man. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a ch- there was a time for like two or three weeks that maybe we were hung- hanging out of some hope. But, but um, and <laughs> when that trade was made, Griff Griff's thinking was, and maybe his thinking was, if this fails, I'm not going to be around to pay the penalty for it, which is mm-hmm. fine, which I think we could really say a lot about Daryl Morey in Houston. And that's proven to be true, but that was a bet. Okay. We're going to trade for Kyle Corver. And if we still have LeBron in, you know, 2019, cause the pick was supposed, it was the first year of the pick was next was last year in last year's draft. If we still have LeBron in 2019, it's not going to be a top 10 pick. We're not going to use that pick anyways. We don't need it. If we have LeBron in 2020, it's not going to be a top 10 pick. So it, would convey theoretically, but we're never going to use it. We don't care about first round picks. First round picks don't play with LeBron since he left Cleveland for Miami. There've been three first round picks that played as a rookie with LeBron James. It just does not happen. So that was the thinking when he made it, it was a smart trade. And now the Pelicans have what could be two pretty good second round draft picks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Last, last question on, on Griff. And I want to move to the Pelicans for a little bit and then wrap up. Um, What, what do you think? So you mentioned that Griff's first decision essentially with the Cavs was the, the Blatt hire. It didn't work out. What do you think he learned? Because obviously the Pelicans are going through a coaching search right now. Um, anything you think he learned from that and uh, may, uh, you know, has changed what he values in a coach and, and, you know, how he goes about making this decision? Also, what, how much truth is there? I think Windhorst was kind of hinting at this, that Blatt was forced upon by Gilbert and, Griff went around that by making Lou the highest paid assistant ever. I don't know how much he was necessarily forced upon Griff. I don't know that that would be the phrase I would use in, but I think it's fair to say that Dan Gilbert has always wanted, has always looked for outside the box coaching hires when the Cavs have had vacancies, which they always seem to have vacancies. Um, Then again, he did hire Mike Brown a second time. So but he, he's someone who is Tom Izzo's name has always come up when there's been an opening here. Uh, Calipari's name has come up. Shashevsky's name has come up. Uh, they hired John Beeline, which obviously was a far worse disaster than David Blatt. But when the Blatt hire was made, he was hired to coach a team that had Kyrie Irving in his, I believe, fourth year in the NBA. Dion Waiters in his third year in the NBA. He was hired to coach a young team. He wasn't hired to coach a team that said, okay, your aspirations first year are to win a championship. His aspirations first year were supposed to be like, if we could get the eight seed, that'd be great. But when LeBron wrote a letter in Sports Illustrated, everything changed. So I, I do think that while it wasn't a great hire in hindsight, at the time, it wasn't a bad hire necessarily. And I still think David Blatt could be a good NBA coach if he's in the right situation. I know he's dealing with some health issues right now, so that's not something that's going to happen. But he just wasn't the right coach for a championship-level team. And yes, the hire wasn't great. And yes, they paid Ty Lue a lot of money, in part because Blatt was a rookie head coach who had never coached in the NBA, period. Um, part of that was maybe because Griff wasn't all the way on board with things, but that's not necessarily the route I would take. And, and again, I would, I would say that the best part of that was Griff realized after a year and a half, after what, 110 regular season games, okay, this isn't the guy. And when the chips are on the table and he went all in on someone else and it worked. And I think that, Maybe not necessarily from hiring Blatt he's learned, but I think that from being around Ty Lue he's learned. And I was 
certainly a little disappointed when the news came out that Ty Lue was that he agreed to be the Clippers head coach. I thought that would have been an awesome fit in New Orleans. I would have loved to have seen those two reunite down there. That would have been my dream, truthfully, was to see Lou and Griffin paired together again, running a franchise. But I, I think that the, it's a very enticing situation. And I don't know what the money situation is going to be. Like Steve Ballmer in LA is going to be able to pay Ty Lue whatever Steve Ballmer wants because he's one of the richest people in the world. And the Benson family is not quite on that level. So I just, I don't know what that's going to be, but I'm, I would be confident. And there's no reason not to be confident that Griff's going to pick the right guy to lead this franchise on the bench. Are there any names being thrown around that you guys have heard? Stan Van Gundy um, is supposedly the finalist and which is something I think Mason, Mason's a little bit less of a fan than I am. I'm a big fan of, of bringing on Van Gundy because I feel like he's the exact type of personality the young Pelicans need who will bring structure, much needed structure to them. Whereas, you know, Alvin Gentry is um, more of a coach for veterans who know the, the ins and outs of the NBA. And that's why you can have a more free flowing philosophy and, He's more laissez-faire, whereas Van Gundy is pretty meticulous with everything he does. Mm-hmm. Um, Stan, that is not not Jeff. <laughs> important distinction. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm a. I, I would be very happy with uh, with Stan as the head coach. I, I was. I think that the. I think we had a modest disagreement. I would have preferred Lou uh, to Stan, but I think uh, I, when those two names were kind of mentioned by Woj and others as the as the leading candidates, I, I don't think they can go wrong with with either choice there. Interesting. I would have liked to see Lou down there too. Honestly, that would have been great. Yeah. I think I asked around um, a few people and the the word on Lou was he wasn't quite hot on coming down to new Orleans and being a part of a younger team, but he preferred more of a, a team ready to compete at a higher level, which is totally fine when you're Ty Lou and you've come off a championship, you should ask for whatever you want, you know? How far just... away do you think the Pelicans are from like really competing? Oof, good question, Mason. Um, I so I, I think one of the things we've kind of discussed in the last few weeks. Uh, I'm I, the long term question's a very good one, and it's tough to answer. But at least for this next season, I don't think it, it feels like the fan base in general kind of assumes. Okay, well, the playoffs should be a logical next step from where we were this past year, and I just I think that's a, a tougher a tougher hill to climb than I think we we're giving credit for it, given this. I mean, as always, the strength of the Western Conference is crazy, but I think even especially next year, it's it's incredibly deep. And so I just, you know, I, I think Shim and I both agree that if if it's a minor step back next year and there's no playoffs, I'm not heartbroken over it. But I think that it's going to be I think next year is key to see to answer that question about when they can really, truly compete. In us. I think we'll learn a lot about Zion, uh, a little more about Ingram. Uh, big year for Lonzo if he's still, um, you know, if, if he's still in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then obviously a big question with their, with their trajectory uh, comes down to Drew Holiday and, and what they're going to do w- with him. Um, so a lot of a lot of uh, open questions to to make that a tough one to answer. But mm-hmm. I think the, the 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 short story is that I wouldn't be shocked to see them miss the playoffs next year, even though I think they'll be gunning for it. Yeah, I, similar to what Mason said, I think they will undoubtedly try to be competitive, be good, especially if they bring on a coach like Van Gundy, um, who I don't think at 61 is going to have much patience for a slow rebuild type of deal. Mm-hmm. But I think my hope for the Pelican, at least for the Pelicans, uh, is that two and a half to three years from now, they've been building up a war chest 
and they pounce on the next disgruntled star that wants out in terms of a trade because they're never going to sign that guy in free agency Mm -hmm. um which i mean i I shouldn't say never there's like a 0.001% chance that you know zion becomes this mega star that people want to play with but i'm not holding my breath um I think that chance is a little bit better than that. Yeah. Yeah, It it seems as if you guys aren't super high on Zion, because I I think the answer to this question truthfully is the Pelicans will be a playoff team when Zion becomes an all NBA player. Mm -hmm. And it's just how far away is he from that? So that's a great question. I think with Zion, our expectations have been tempered a little bit just because of uh, his lack of conditioning. And, and so I agree that I don't think Zion's very far away from being an all NBA player. I think if he wants to, he can be one next year. And if he is um, an all NBA player next year, they're probably going to be a playoff team. But my thing with Zion is as good as he is, I want, I want championship aspirations. And if he turns out to be that level of good, he's going to need someone else on a similar level or just slightly below, you know, LeBron brought in Kevin Love. He had Kyrie Irving, you know, two all-star, two all NBA players. I want more. I'm greedy. Right. So I want to save up those assets for a Devin Booker, for a Carl Anthony town, someone that, you know, three, three years from now, Zion's going to be entering, um, you know, his third or fourth year. And he's, he's probably going to be really good. He's probably going to be that all NBA player by then. That's the hope. And so let's bring in another all NBA caliber player. And if Zion's making a leap for to an MVP level player, then all of a sudden our championship chances look good. So that's, that's my long-term plan. Schmidt's a huge Bradley Beal stand. And I think he's still a little upset that that never, that move never materialized for New Orleans. <sighs> so he's just looking for the next guy who, who he can fall in love with like that. Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. give up on the Bradley Beal thing yet. I just think He's that young. this Don't tell him that. Oh no, I, I just I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't give up on that. It's I don't think he gets traded this off season, but I wouldn't give up on that. Yeah, I'm. I'm I'll never give up. He can. He can come to the Pelicans when he's like 42 years old, and I'm Batman. I'd be ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a good time. But um, speaking of the Pelicans and, and keeping on the Pelicans topic, you know, outside of Zion Williamson and, and Brandon Ingram, are there players on the Pelicans that intrigue you that you would want to see on the Cavs uh, or potentially trade for? Not Lonzo Ball. Okay. <laughs> That's it. That's my whole answer. <laughs> Not Lonzo Ball. <laughs> Not Lonzo Ball. Bummer. That was I don't, one of the points. I'm so sorry. I don't necessarily know about on the Cavs, but I certainly am intrigued by some of the young talent that the Pelicans have. I do like Jackson Hayes. Uh, I was a, a Nikhil Alexander Walker fan when he was coming out of the draft last year. And obviously that guy loves nothing more than to shoot jumpers, which I appreciate, um, but he just needs to make more of them. It seems um, <laughs> he needs to chill so, out. Yeah. I, I, he takes a lot of shots. I, I remember watching his first ever game and, he came off the bench and I think he took like five shots in his first shift. I'm like, this is unbelievable. You're a rookie just gunning. I respect it. He made none of them. I think he finished the game like O of nine with one point from the free throw line, but I respected the hell out of it, man. That was just quite a way to start an NBA career. I'm intrigued by him. Uh, I'm really intrigued by what the ceiling for Brandon, Brandon Ingram is because he's someone I wasn't necessarily high on, but what he was able to do last year in new Orleans, I think was really impressive. And I, I just, 
I'm curious what the fit's going to be between him and Zion when Zion becomes the best player on the team. Because last year, Zion had all the hype, and I know he missed a, a large chunk of the season because of his knee. But Ingram was really, really good, and I think that kind of got overshadowed, at least nationally, because everyone was just waiting for Zion to step on the court. But at the same time, they had a guy that was at, playing at an all-star level. And when Zion overtakes him as the best player on the team, how does that structure look? This is uh this is a, this has been a, I think we probably spent a whole podcast on, and I don't know if it was during the bubble or right before or right after, but the, and this was, we had a more longer, longer term discussion of what does that team look like with, with uh, you know, Ken. And the question was actually because we're Pelicans fans, you were conditioned to act this way, negative <laughs> thinking <laughs> about uh, how can you, for, how can you uh, create a above average defense with Ingram and Zion uh, as the corner zones of the team. And so um, <laughs> that said, that's a negative perspective and that's more of like the longer term problem if you if you can get to that contender type level but um yeah i think it's going to be uh, an interesting thing to watch play out so i think it's time for us to wrap it up and what we're going to do by wrapping it up is ask you guys um a couple questions uh, and they're going to be Cavs related so the first question i have for you guys was that first championship the Cavs won um just walk me through the emotions and, and, you know, you can start the whole game seven, you could start three, one, you can start wherever, just walk me through the emotions. And then, um, you know, the, the emotional high afterwards and, and what the scene was like, what, what was that like to experience? Brittany, you can start here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because my story is not that great because I, during the whole, all of this, I was living away. So I was in North Carolina. I didn't get to celebrate with everyone. I didn't get to go to the parade. It was all very heartbreaking for me, but the moment that they won, I remember thinking because it had been 52 years since Cleveland won anything. So like, obviously my life, I never saw anything. And my parents' life didn't see like, it was just such a long drought and you have these fans that are just so loyal. Um, so when they finally did it in that game seven, I was sort of in disbelief of it all because we had spent so much time being losers. And it, in my mind, it, it was just so ingrained that it was never going to happen. And it did. It's after, you know, th- uh, down three to one. I mean, everything about it was just amazing and even now like I I might have a little tear in my eye just thinking about it <laughs> it was I I don't think we'll ever feel anything like that again because you know that was the one um we're never gonna have a LeBron James again unfortunately um so now it just comes down to developing these players and hoping for the best but that that summer was definitely something special so for me there's something kind of distinct I remember from each of the the three nights of games five, six, and seven, I, I remember where I was watching all these games, and I kind of remember how I felt watching them too. I remember LeBron's jumper suddenly started working in game five, and everyone made a big deal about Draymond Green not playing because he gave a, a little love tap to LeBron's groin in game four and was just rightfully suspended for accumulating too many flagrant foul points in part because he kicked um, Steven Adams in the beans in the round before. So it, it was worth it. He, he deserved that um, I should say, but when LeBron's jumper started working, part of me was like, I've seen this story before. This is going to be a crushing loss tonight. Like they're just, they're done. 
But as it got later in that game, I started to let myself believe a little bit. And then when game six happened, I was working for ESPN Cleveland at the time. I was a reporter and a producer there. So I was game six was in Cleveland. I wasn't at the game. I was in our studio. And I remember I was watching the game with uh, Michael Regai, who when LeBron first entered the league, he was the Cavs TV play-by-play guy. And now he does some, like some national college football stuff like that, but he was replaced, I think, in LeBron's third year. But it was still a really cool moment. And I, I kind of thought to myself, you know, if nothing else, like younger me would be really, really cool that I got to watch a finals game with the Cavs with Michael Regai. Like that's just a really cool thing for me. And then they were up 30 to 11 in the first quarter. And I, I like, they can't lose this game. And then by time game seven rolled around, it got to the, you got the feeling that before the game, there's no way they can lose tonight. Like there's just, there's no way that I can pick against LeBron James in a game seven. I don't care who it's against. I don't care where it is. I don't care. And then the moment for me, because everyone points at, you know, Kevin Love stopping Curry, LeBron's block, Kyrie Irving's shots is kind of the moment when they knew the Cavs were going to win. But the Warriors went into halftime up five, and then they pushed their lead out to seven to, to open up the third quarter. And J.R. Smith hit a three, and then J.R. Smith hit a pull up two, and then J.R. Smith hit another three. And that's really all he did in that game. But it was like, J.R. kind of saved this team in this moment. And I just, that's when I knew that they were going to win. I didn't know what was going to happen, but you just knew this is it. The Cavs are winning tonight. That gave me chills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the parade, the parade, and I know I'm super long winded here and I apologize for that, <laughs> but the parade was also a really, really cool thing. That was something that I was I was backstage at essentially I followed LeBron's car for most of it. Like I just walked behind LeBron and to see like a how stalker or as part of your job, well, <laughs> as part of my job, like I, I was credentialed. And I, I had a, I was taking videos on my phone and stuff like that. I, I was, I was getting paid to do this. It wasn't, I wasn't stalking Hate LeBron. Stalking. I love it. There were, there were 1.3 million people there stalking him. I was, I go. was doing my job. Um, but just seeing how, how magical that day felt and how he was embraced by everyone there. And there were people there who had, you know, been, been fans of Cleveland sports their entire lives and never seen anything like it because up until that night on, on June 19th, 2016, unless you were 58, 59 years old, you didn't remember what a championship felt like in this, in this city, because it had been 52 years. It had been a really long time. And to see the city embrace not only LeBron, but that whole team was just a really, really cool moment. And truthfully, it's something that I'll, I will never forget for the rest of my life. So Schmidt's not as big of a football guy, um, or I say not really at all, but I, I can, I can relate because of the saints about a decade ago, I felt, I, I, I felt, I feel like pretty similar. And then, uh, also randomly, so I live in Chicago now, and I was around when the Cubs broke their curse, oh, and man. so the, I was. You actually... don't like to talk about that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot who they beat, so I'll yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll I'll scrap that story then. Um, but we can <laughs> we can we can jump to uh, the last thing we had for you was uh, what uh, both of your favorite non-LeBron Cavs players of all time. Oh, it's Drew Gooden. 
<laughs> I guess we got that one from you already. It's not even close. <laughs> I, uh, I I was a big Kyrie Irving fan. I was a big Mo Williams fan in the first stint. I, I thought that what he was able to bring was really cool. Um, but, you know, I have always had a soft spot in a way for J.R. Smith. And I know what J.R. Smith has become a meme because of what happened in 2018 in game one where he didn't know the score. And But that really sucks because what J.R. did during that run was – it meant a lot to the Cavs and it meant a lot to this city. He was kind of the barometer of what things were like in that locker room. When J.R. was playing well, everything was great. When he wasn't well, you knew something was up. And he, he was just always someone that he, he was a really good defender before – he, he, he broke his thumb. And during that season, his wife also had uh, their, their daughter prematurely. And I know that weighed on him a lot, but he was someone who I think was really misunderstood by a lot of people. And he kind of found a home in Cleveland and just because of what Cleveland has meant to me. And it seems like Cleveland really meant something important to him that made me really want him to be successful. That's it. It's, it's awesome. And also, I always forget that J.R. Smith, the Hornets drafted him, the New Orleans Hornets. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I years mean, and years ago. <laughs> one of my uh, one of my favorite J.R. Smith highlights. I, I it's our, Well, I mean, I guess that was actually with Denver, but I remember him being drafted because he was one of the, the last prep to pro guys. Like he was committed in North Carolina yeah. and he was drafted in 04 by the Hornets. Yeah. Just feels like ages and ages ago. Yeah. Um, and he... And if there's anything we know of now, it's that if you're a two guard and you can shoot threes, LeBron's going to get you paid. KCP, J.R. Smith, the list goes on, man. I mean, if you're a guard and you can't shoot threes, you'll get paid. This <laughs> happened for Matthew Dellavedova. <laughs> Matthew Dellavedova got a, a $40 million contract after he fell out of the rotation in the finals. Like, <laughs> the, the, and Timofey Mozgov got $64 million two days before him after he fell out of amazing. the rotation in the finals. God. What an amazing Power summer. Of playing LeBron. <laughs> Playing with LeBron is unbelievable. I am rooting for all the Lakers to get paid. They deserve it. (laughs) They deserve every single penny. Well, this was really fun, guys. I hope you guys continue to suck for a couple more years so those picks the Pelicans have turn out to be good. (laughs) But after that, you know, I wish you nothing but blessings. And, um, yeah, thank you guys for coming on. And we are very excited to uh, see the Cavs develop. Thank you for having us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was a blast. Thank you. What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. 
So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.